Hello everyone, Anne Cross here in the urban yurt in East London. Excited to be here with my regular podcast, Conversations of Spirituality in the Urban Yurt, where I invite guests into the yurt to have conversations with me on matters of the heart. We hear so much these days about our society becoming less religious and the statistics certainly prove that with more and more people actually self-defining as the religious nons. But my experience is actually that people are no less spiritual. In fact, they're taking responsibility for their own spirituality, for their own sense of that which is beyond the physical realm. Um, sometimes remaining within a faith organisation, often not, but finding myriad ways to explore, to celebrate, to define their own spiritual path. And today it's a joy to welcome into this space Michael Bold. Pleasure to be here. Long-time friend and recent husband I have to acknowledge before we start our conversation thank you so yeah thank you it's really good to have you here Uh, you've been listening to all the recent podcasts and it's really exciting to have you here actually sharing the conversation yes I have good thank you so maybe just to start the conversation maybe you could just Tell us a little bit about who you are. I mean, obviously, we're particularly thinking about faith and spirituality and all things of the heart. So perhaps just a little bit about where you come from, your your faith or spiritual background. <coughs> um, where I come from and my faith background, uh, probably the same thing, really. I, I always used to say that the... Um, um, in my research shows that the the Garden of Eden was in between the two rivers, not the Euphrates and whatever the other one was, but uh, the Mersey and the uh, <laughs> and the Ribble. Um, so I'm from Lancashire, St. Uh, Helens in Lancashire, which when I was young was the um, um, the most populous Roman Catholic town in. England, so I'm Roman Catholic, um, born and brought up. It's my heritage. So, you, both your parents were Roman Catholic? Uh, no, no. Um, my dad um, and his side of the family was Roman Catholic. Um, they kind of lived at one side of St Helens, the the posher side, I think. Um, and yes, I mean they were very Roman Catholic. They were you know, knew the the local parish priest and helped out in the church and um, kind of went on pilgrimages and things like this. I went to Lourdes. And, um, and um, my mother's side, um, who lived on the other side of St Helens, the, uh, the poorer side, the side nearer to Liverpool, um, she and her family were um, Salvation Army, um, so um, yeah, she had to give up um, 
Roman Catholicism and convert to um, Roman uh, Catholicism when she wanted to marry my dad. Uh, so she underwent um, a series of um, instructions in the faith, as you did uh, in those days. And the, um, the local priest who gave her the instructions was her father, Michael, an Irishman. So that's why I ended up with um, Michael Anthony Hartrick, <laughs> although we're not Irish. <laughs> So you were brought up very much within the faith of the Roman Catholic Church? Yes, very much so, yes. Yes, went to... Um, <clears throat> we would go to uh, my dad's um, parents, grandparents, so, yeah, my dad's parents, my grandparents, uh, who lived um, a couple of miles from us. Um, we, we moved to... Um, yeah, I think the first years of my life, um, the first four years, we lived with um, my mum's lot. Um, and then we got offered a council house on a new estate on the other side of um, St Helens, which was a couple of miles from my dad's lot. So uh, we used to go visit after, we used to go to Sunday Mass at 10 o'clock. Um, and then go across to um, my dad's parents for Sunday roast. And um, then I used to be shipped off to um, uh, Sunday school at uh, three o'clock on Sunday evening. My, the bribery was to buy um, chalk ice on the way back. So Sunday was very much taken up with church going. Yes, church and family, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah. I mean, this is you know up to the age of um, ten, eleven. And do you have a memory of your understanding of the faith at that age? Um, I don't think so, really. Um, no, I mean, I, I would have said it was about, you know, God the Father and Jesus and um, the saints, I suppose, you know. My mum was keen on the saints, you know, we knew all the St. Anthony of Padua was, if you lost something, and various St. Christopher and <laughs> the saints I knew about. So as you grew older, um, d did your faith remain an important part of your life? Uh, yes, it certainly did, yes. Um, I mean, I decided to go to um, the junior seminary to prepare to become a priest at the age of 11, so... Um, at the age of 11, I mean, that's really young. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how much I decided, but yes, I think I did, really. I think uh, my memory is that um, this priest came to our local school and spoke about the missions in Africa and um, said, you know, if you're interested, um, uh, get in touch. Must have left some contact details or something. And so, yes, I mean, I went home and... Um, kind of said I was interested really so I mean I think you know it was a big honour in those days for um, 
you know, one of the the sons of the family to be in the priesthood, and you know, it's kind of thing. I think it's kind of thing that good Catholic families aim to do. Um, so your parents were pleased. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I think so. I think my mum was a bit. Um, didn't quite know how to take the the prospect of um, losing contact with her son um, at the age of 11. Um, we would come home for holidays, um, kind of, you know, school holidays. But uh, other than that, um, they wouldn't. They weren't allowed to visit. the The junior seminary was about ten miles away. Um, so other than that, they they weren't allowed to visit. Um, I think they were allowed on kind of special feast days. Every now and again, they they came across. Um, we we won the pools, little ones. It was called in those days. And my dad bought a scooter. Lambretta mm -hmm. in order to um, transport himself and my mum the 10 miles to visit me on the, the junior seminary, so we never looked back. <laughs> okay, so you were away all term, and, yeah. Um, and, and yeah, what was, what was that like as a, the junior seminary? Was it, was it what you imagined you were going into? Um, well, it was a kind of, um, you know, it was one of these, a small um, hall, it was called Blythe Hall, the, the kind of, I don't know really, the, the district not far from us, kind of farming district, was had a Latham Hall, which was the, the bigger district, and this one was about five miles away from that, a kind of smaller mansion house really converted so it's just big rooms yeah I mean it took a bit to get used to and um, I think I was homesick for quite a long time um, but um, yeah, I suppose I enjoyed it really at the end of it you know I liked football and games and stuff so and the classes kind of were um, until the kind of lunch time-ish in the classroom, started early and kind of got them over at one o'clock or something, and then in the afternoon you did kind of you know garden work or cleaning or one, two two afternoons a week football or something like that. So yeah, and uh, you get I'm very adaptable, I think. <laughs> so was this like was this like a choice of school for you, or was this a personal faith commitment um, was it, no, was it a mean, commitment it to a, God or, yeah. or was it about a choice of school no it wasn't a choice of school although I had failed my 11 plus um, so I'm told um, so that meant that instead of going to a grammar school I would have ended up in a secondary modern school um, mm. but um, I mean I know the difference really I don't think I could not remember knowing any difference and no it wasn't about going um, <clears throat> getting qualifications I mean I think the the I think my memory is that the fees were something like 60 pounds a term which I think was quite expensive in those days um, but I don't, I don't think um, I don't think 
our family could afford them, so I think, I don't know what happened really, I don't think we paid. Um, but it wasn't about the qualifications, no, I mean, it, and it wasn't particularly about God really, I, I kind of, I remember thinking to myself that um, um, I just kind of um, want to help people. No, that's just wanted to what I wanted to do with my life was just help people mm. that's all really mm. so priesthood kind of seemed a fairly obvious way to do that mm-hmm. mm. so you carried on through the school and you became a priest yep 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 the school finished so I did A levels and then um <clears throat> Um, then came down to London uh, went, well no then did a year as novitiate um, up in near Hexham Newcastle concert um, for a year and a day after which I took vows um, in a you know to become a monk in a religious order and uh, then came down to London which would be 1970, um, to study at um, a college that had just, Heathrop College, that just affiliated with the University of London, uh, kind of counterpart to King's College, which was the Anglican, and the um, Heathrop was run by the Jesuits, so the kind of Catholic counterpart. And so I studied philosophy and theology there, um, or six years till I got ordained in 1976. I was always, I very much enjoyed the year and a day in the novitiate really. The the order was um, that I had joined the Passionists was kind of described itself as um, half contemplative and half active. Um, so and the you know the novitiate was kind of like that in the sense that <clears throat> in the morning you know you'd have the all the prayers and everything throughout the day, um, <clears throat> but um, you'd have kind of the morning would be spiritual kind of stuff like um, you know the um, celebration of going to mass and. Um, um, Doing spiritual reading and then having a, a talk by the uh, by the master, um, and then after in the afternoon it was kind of you know physical work, uh, big grounds you know so working in the grounds and clearing the grounds or painting we painted and decorated and put in sinks in the in the large house what was that so I uh, kind of yeah. I enjoy that kind of lifestyle, really, of <clears throat> praying and working hard. Just for people who perhaps wouldn't understand the, um, the the holy orders, could you just say something about the difference between joining a religious order okay, and yeah. becoming a what would be known as a secular priest, a priest that would belong to the local diocese? Yes, yes. Um, well, the you know the Roman Church has always had <clears throat> well 
for a long time, you know, since 250 AD, <laughs> has had <coughs> two kind of strands, the, um, the normal um, tradition of um, ministry within a local church. Mm. And that ministry was always um, the bishop, the priest, and the deacons. Um, mm. So, you know, the bishop was kind of always in charge. The, <clears throat> the priests were the ones who celebrated the sacraments, and the deacons were the ones who went about feeding the hungry and doing the good works and cleaning the church and all this kind of stuff. <clears throat> the <clears throat> alongside that there was um grew up um a kind of contemplative tradition um where people um in those days it was um described as um coming away from the world and living a more deep spiritual life and having a um a regular rota of spiritual prayers and exercises that you did throughout the day that was usually combined with you know reading writing doing a bit of kind of gardening or something but it was very often enclosed in a monastery so <clears throat> you kind of describe those as monks or religious um, and um, so in the old days there would be monks and um, both the, the local church officials, the priests, and um, the order that I joined um, kind of was a mixture of the two. Um, so it was called a religious order. So you were kind of you had a contemplative bit. You, you all lived in monasteries and had a, a timetable of. Um, prayers throughout the day which everybody which everybody did and fulfilled um, and you had spiritual exercises to do every day um, but <clears throat> you could also go out from the monastery and do whatever the work that um, that particular the mission that that particular order was um, attuned with so some orders were teaching orders they would teach in schools some orders were worked in hospitals, um, the one I joined, um, their mission was to um, preach about the death um, and passion of Jesus. So it was about suffering and being with those who were suffering um, in our world. Mm -hmm. So would you see yourself as a preacher? I don't get much practice nowadays, but um, yes, I I think I can give a good sermon um, when when the occasion requires. <laughs> um, <coughs> but um, I mean, I never I never wanted to um, run. Um, I never wanted to place myself in a situation where I would have to preach, really. Um, I, I was from, you know, when I was studying with the, with the Jesuits, not blaming the Jesuits, of course, but um, 
I yeah, I was very critical of how the church operated and how it had become an institution and um, left the original gospel message that um, was in the in the life of Jesus really so I I viewed the church institution as um, authoritarian um, governed by men um, and um, you know not being collaborative um, so that's <clears throat> where I was at um, during my priestly um, becoming a priest and um, so I kind of wasn't particularly interested in being ordained really but that was kind of part of the of the process um, and and I was far more interested in um, the religious order side of it the living in community and um, <clears throat> being with people who were suffering in the world you know in order to help them somewhere or other so after I was ordained um, I um, refused to do um, work in parishes um, so I, I refused to um, say mass in parishes I refused to uh, hear confessions I refused to preach um, because I thought that that was uh, maintaining the <clears throat> the institution that needed to be changed so <clears throat> so you lived out your ministry helping people as as you uh, as the 11 year old boy had planned to do um, and I'm interested you're talking about the working with people who were suffering um, and you'd also you know the order is about the suffering Christ Yes. Could, do you want to say, can you say something about yes. that? Because I can hear the tension <coughs> with the institutional church, yes. but very much uh, a fit yes. with the religious order side, with yes. the order side, the, 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 the monk bit. Yes, yes. Well, the traditional way that <coughs> the order had interpreted its mission was to give, <coughs> to give retreats and missions and talks so go to a church for a couple of weeks and say, you know, give a fiery sermon at each of the masses, <clears throat> and then that kind of developed, uh, that developed into um, <clears throat> running retreat houses where people would come and stay for a week and, uh, you know, be helped with spiritual exercises and be given talks and everything like that. <clears throat> so it was all, still very much about um, talking to people. <clears throat> um, what um, a few of us tried to do then was to um, move away from the institution. We had an idea that in order to get in touch with the suffering of the world, um, we had to move. You know, I and I had to move. I'd been brought up. I'd been in a junior seminary since eleven, 
Um, I'd been in the novitiate, I'd been at a, a college learning about theology. Um, I had no experience of the world or anything, so <clears throat> um, we thought that we had to move away from the institution, and we did that by um, moving out in finding a, a poor place in the inner cities. Um, where we just moved into and tried to um, meet the people and live with the people around us and uh, develop um, from from there without any without ac any acknowledgement that um, you know we were priests or religious or anything just go and um, live amongst the people and respond to their needs as they as we saw them. Mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. And how did that work out? Where, where did you end up? Where were you? Um, yes, we ended up, we, we followed... Uh, we, we, sorry to interrupt, okay. but we being other brothers, other, yes. other men who'd gone through the same yes. training, the same yes, ordination that you'd gone through. Yes, there were three people who were, you know, 10 or 20 years older than us who um, moved um, into Liverpool late and um, set up a, a mission there to live with the people in Liverpool 8. And, um, John Liverpool 8 being Toxteth, of course, Mate, where Toxteth, all the riots had gone right, on in the, in the 80s. Yes, they yeah. were there for the riots. Um, <clears throat> so they inspired me and inspired uh, my um, brother um, in the order, John, um, and we started um, a similar inner city mission down here in London um, and we started in Islington uh, just because that's where we were living um, and so we um, um, yes we wanted to include the world of work um, in the how we got in touch with people in our mission. So John became a road sweeper and I um, <clears throat> worked for local small firms in the area and then eventually got a job in, um, in the Hackney Hospital actually it was in those days as a kitchen porter. <coughs> and uh, but we um, we lived in a house that had been started by a friend of ours um, and he had to move up north. He ran um, um, a house that wasn't up to standard. So in those days, it was kind of 1980, early Margaret Thatcher period, when there was no money in housing, all the money had been cut off. So Islington Council um, had a very good um, go-ahead um, leader of housing called Chris Smith. LMP, um, <clears throat> who um, allowed us to use a large house um, for homeless young people. Mm. Um, so we moved into the house and run it, run it as a, a hostel for homeless young people, um, providing move-on accommodation um, and taking some referrals from the local council, uh, local social services, and. Um, so we had various projects like that, um, um, 
we got um, <clears throat> the low-pay unit um, to come and do an analysis of the the wages structure um, in the in the borough and um, tried to run a low-pay campaign to get um, people's wages lifted up higher. Um, John and myself both um, joined the trade unions in the in the places that we work. Um, so we um, became active in the in the trade unions as well as kind of being active in the in the in the local borough um, that, that we were in on the voluntary sector bodies that uh, were there. And uh, we yes, I kind of became involved in housing really. So um, joined a few management committees of um, organisations that eventually ended up as Centre Point under the umbrella of Centre Point um, and, and um, set up some international <laughs> international contacts with South Africa to uh, support the anti-apartheid regime and um, the Philippines as well to um, try to um, help the overthrow of the Marcos regime. Mm. Um, wow, so some quite big projects, some quite big examples of social action. Um, well, we didn't do them all by ourselves. <coughs> I mean, sure. there were we, you know, you got in touch with various organisations or they got in touch with us and we uh, mm. gave what we could. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm wondering about the spiritual side. So you were still, obviously, in orders. You're still a mm. Roman mm. Catholic priest. How did how did that sit with all this mm. amazing mm. work on the ground that you were doing? Mm. Was the your your spiritual practice, your Roman Catholic background? I'm wondering how all that mm. kind of interwove with this work that you were doing? Yes. Um, yes, I suppose um, we, we did um, pray and have Eucharist together um, in various kind of groups. So um, we would meet once a month with the guys from Liverpool 8 and have a, a day of... Um, reflection. Um, one of us would present a paper, and then we'd have a, uh, a shared Eucharist together, prayer together, in which we'd break bread. And um, so we'd have one of those um, for a day each month. Um, and what did that mean to you? How did that How did that fit with what you were doing Monday to Saturday? Or yeah, right. Mm -hmm. um, Yes, I mean that they, they were um, an inspiration. Um, they were kind of refreshment for the soul, really, um, because the the day would be a reflection on not just what we were doing, but um, why we were doing it, and um, <clears throat> how it was affecting us, and how it was. Um, developing us spiritually um, and how it was hopefully developing 
those that we were engaged with um, mm. spiritually. So yes, they were very powerful uh, for me personally. Um, mm. Mm. So moving, move it, moving on a little bit because I'm aware that you're not an ordained priest, or maybe you might still call yourself a priest. So I'm, I'm interested to know where the movement away from the order. Okay. Yes. Um, well, for me personally at the end of the day um, so what I've just been talking about you know was from <clears throat> say 1980 to into the 2000s um, and um, by that time um, the guys in Liverpool um, were reaching retirement 60 heading on for 70s. Um, my colleague John eventually, um, his parents up in Newcastle, um, his father died and so eventually he decided to go back up to Newcastle to look after his mother. Um, and that really left me <coughs> um, on my own. And you know the options where I could go back into a monastery, but um, there was no way I was going to do that. <laughs> so I, yes, I, I think in a sense um, I, I was happy that um, I met my partner, and. Um, um, was able to to move on in a wholesome way. I think I remember for the the kind of the years when I was kind of really drifting away from um, the religious order that um, um, I kind of went to their annual meetings and and found myself kind of having nothing in common. Um, what I had got in common before that was in common because of the other people who were committed to sharing their lives with the, the poor and suffering in the in an inner city environment. And um, <clears throat> Once they, once that sharing had ceased, then there was nothing behind it. Really, there was mm. there was nothing mm. in the order to to keep me there. So, so the sense of co the community that you were working with and alongside was absolutely fundamental. Yes, to, that's right. Yes, I mean I, that's kind of what I mean by you know. It was always the religious order, it was always the, the community, not in the sense of living in a monastery with a regular prayer, but um, in the sense of sharing um, your life mm. with other people mm. um, involved in a, 
you know, in a mission, mm. involved in work with um, the powerless or the poor and the suffering, that that's always mm. what, um, and I suppose that's the kind of fulfilment mm. of what I wanted right at the beginning, uh, just mm. to help people, mm. you know, because I didn't particularly think that the church in as an institution was helping people, it was disempowering people. Who is God for you, Michael? Um, <clears throat> well, God for me is um, is the one or the beloved um, yeah the one who encompasses all really it's hard to describe um, because um, my descriptions are words really so so they they're not my experiences. My experience of God is simply um, an experience of um, fullness and joy. It's so beautiful. Um, so, you know, so. I only describe it in words, which don't really express the experience. Uh, kind of do inadequately, but, but that's so. I just sit, and God fills me with um, joy and fullness and beauty, really. That's, um, and. I mean, that is just that is just so beautiful and so full. I'm 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 wondering whether that feeling is in any sense inspired by any faith doctrine or any kind of institutional religion, so to speak. Now. Um, <clears throat> well, I I think it's. You know, I mean, I'm still me, so um, when I'm when I'm trying to describe the experience, I have to describe it in words and sentences that make sense to me. <clears throat> so, yes, I mean that you know that there has been a development. Um, and the development has gone from um, describing the experience as um, being with Jesus to describing the experience as being with the Spirit. Um, <clears throat> and 
that's the way I would still describe it, so um, as being with the spirit. But um, yes, I, I find that um, <clears throat> I can, I also like to read the, um, the mystical experiences in the poetry um, of other faith paths. Um, and so, <clears throat> no, I have, I am moved with the same experience that I have in prayer and contemplation, um, sometimes by the, the poetry, um, the experiences of, um, other mystical, other people from different faith paths and their mystical experiences, which I often find similar to my own, really. So <clears throat> I think that's where that affinity um, comes in. So, yes, they they feel like... Um, uh, yes, they feel like soulmates. You feel like soulmates, you and the poets. Yes. The, the, say, the mystics and the sages of other faith paths. Yeah. Some of them. Some of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure as with the same with Christian yes, mystics that's and sages. Right. You know, yes. I, I think it's so so that's where I'm at, you know, that's that's <clears throat> that's um yeah, that's that's also takes into account my development, you know. Mm. I, <clears throat> I I believe I express my experience of the divine. Um, in in the in the language and the concepts that <clears throat> that I ha that I've developed up until where I am now. Mm. Mm. And yeah, you've talked to you've talked about kind of being still and getting a sense of the divine. And it, it's a, it's a feeling, and you sit with it. Is that what you would call your spiritual practice, or would you would you say you have a spiritual practice? Um, I I've always tried to um, arrange my life in such a way that my the whole of what I do. Um, can be involved, can be focused on the development of my spiritual life. Um, so, yes, you know, I generally um, do some meditation every morning, um, and in that meditation will sometimes have an experience of the divine, and other times won't. Um, <clears throat> but I also um, read, obviously, the the mystical writings of um, the different faith paths. Um, I also read um, about um, things to do with God, theological matters. And I also try to live my life in a wholesome way. So I'm trying to um, hold my life um, 
as a spiritual entity, as a whole, rather than um, just having particular half an hour that I call spiritual. Does that answer you? That does completely answer my question, yeah. And that, that feels to me like a, almost something learnt right back from the from the days of training within a religious organisation, that kind of that yes. kind of um, way of life. That's right. Spiritual yes. practice being a way of life, whether you were praying the the, pr- the prayers at the hours of prayers or working in the garden it was all devoting your life to God or mm. however you understood that mm-hmm. so you've retired now I have yes um, you've left the order yes you got married yes and you're now retired yes what does your how, how does your life devoted to to God look now are you um, happy with that phrase life devoted to God yes yes well I'm happy <laughs> yes yeah. <coughs> um, yes I, I kind of I, I like to have a, a structure to my life so I kind of um, I'm trying to develop um, a book about the Impressionist painter Cezanne. Which is the the reason I got you in here for this conversation, of course. Uh, we haven't mentioned Paul Cezanne yet, but I, of course, know that you're a real Paul Cezanne fan and you are in the process yes. of writing yes. a tome, which at the moment you're dividing into blogs to start publishing That's next right. weekend. Yes, yes, mm. yes, yes. So, yes... I've been fortunate um, in the past few years um, to have found something that I've been looking for for a long, long time, you know, 20 or 30 years. Um, And that is um, a way to um, bring together the um, spiritual and... Um, the living out of the spiritual realms um, under one understanding, really, I suppose. And cut a long story short, um, I I think that um, that can be done under the idea of um, conscious evolution and... um, Spiral dynamics that provides me with the coherent framework of um, understanding what is going on around me um, that I think I've been searching for for 20, 30 years. Um, And that that provides me with a framework um, which is wonderful really because it gives me an understanding of how different groups of people and individuals can have different values Um, but more than that 
it allows me to respect and honour those values and try to move with those people using the values that they hold dear. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing it gives me, because it's methodology, is to include and be open. So the second thing it gives me is the ability and the the experience of saying, what does this bring to me? So in any event, in any experience, in any meeting with somebody, I ask the question, you know, what am I being given? What is the gift that is being given to me here? Rather than saying, you know, what's wrong with this? Well, this person's saying this, but it's a bit inadequate here. Um, And those two things um, are are wonderful to, to use, and that enables me then to hold together um, my work with Cezanne, um, the interfaith work um, that um, you're involved in and I'm involved in here in the the urban yurt. Um, It allows me to hold together my reading and understanding of the the poetry of um, and the spiritual, the uh, foundational readings of the different faith paths, um, it allows me to, it encourages me to understand, try and understand what's going on in the locality um, <clears throat> where we live here in the inner city, a very diverse population with many strong faith paths. Um, Having, believing in different things and having different values it allows me to bring all those together with my own spiritual practices of um, you know, having meditation in the morning and um, doing reading and going out and, um, so yeah it's, it's a wonderful description of spiral dynamics which is quite difficult to to unfold in a paragraph but just just to kind of say that again about the the spiral dynamics or integral theory it's sometimes known as yes. um, as propounded mostly by Ken Wilber uh, philosopher right. if anybody wanted to look that up but the whole idea of people um, operating from different value systems and the, the gift, the blessing that you that you mm. get from that. You also mentioned conscious evolution. I, w- I wonder yes. if you could just say a little bit more about your understanding of conscious evolution. Uh, yes. Um, well, I mean, that's the Jesuits are to blame for that. I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> and um, when I was um, and when I was studying at that time, um, Teilhard de Chardin. Uh, French Jesuit who was a paleontologist I think in China Um, his writings um, were um, forbidden originally um, by Rome and then they kind of were allowed, came online um, 
in the 60s, I think, maybe the 50s or the 60s, anyway. Um, so, yes, I was much taken with them um, when I was studying in the 70s, and um, then subsequently um, one of the, uh, an American um, passionist, a member of the order I was attached to, Thomas Berry, um, wrote um, about the idea of conscious evolution and um, so I was much inspired um, by those two um, yes the, the ideas I think are very compatible with spiral dynamics um, it's an understanding that um, the ev evolutionary process um, includes not just us human beings but um, the whole of the earth um, and that the whole of the earth and the whole of the universe is unfolding um, in divine presence and uh, <laughs> we share in that we're the human beings and the whole of the earth shares in the yes shares in the gift of the divine that's right as it consciously unfolds that's right it also adds us to spiral dynamics that you know there are stages within that evolution evolutionary process um, and so you know we can certainly identify the the stages of development um, mm. in, in, in the past um, and that allows us to um, project the possibility of stages in the future. Certainly, Thomas Berry um, and you know Ken Wilber um, both suggest that um, we are on the precipice of a major um, stage of evolution, a transition. Um, from um, one stage to the next and um, that's the basis that's um, what lies beneath uh, the turmoil that is happening in our world at the moment and also the, the dissonance out of which um, something new will, will grow hopefully which will be more wholesome and more positive. Mm -hmm. And the conscious bit? The conscious evolution? Yes, the conscious bit, um, I think, has the import of saying that, uh, of meaning that everything um, is on a, a spectrum of consciousness. So... There, the, when there is no opposition between inanimate and conscious because there is no inanimate stuff all that there is is on a spectrum of consciousness some with more consciousness some, some with simple consciousness some with complex consciousness um, but that spark of divinity and consciousness goes back to the dust of 
creation and the original little big bang of creation to ourselves with very complex consciousness to whatever the future holds in complexity. So it's a, <clears throat> it's a way of saying that um, the earth and the universe is um, held in divine presence. Divinity is within everything. There is nothing that divinity is not within. Um, let's talk, because we're, we're, this is a gorgeous, long conversation. Um, let's move on to Cezanne, to your yeah. work with Paul Cezanne. Okay. Um, which, uh, yeah, your blogs are going to be coming out this weekend. Um, <clears throat> and when I say that, people will probably immediately, as I probably would be if I didn't know you so well be expecting a sort of art critic blog which I know that yours very definitely are not that simple uh, uh, well <coughs> let me say before we start that um, what the the paintings of Paul Cezanne gave me was the sure understanding that the divine beauty is not confined to a church or a religious setting. So I found that there was beauty I I felt beauty in the paintings of Paul Cézanne. So it meant for me that there's something more than the church or a particular faith path can hold about the divine. So it meant that my it opened up my understanding of how the divine works. It gave me a, an opening that was not closed and that's, that's very important I think with faith paths or institutions. So that was a wonderful thing to, to be given. Um, what I'm trying to do in the blogs is <clears throat> interpret Paul Cezanne's work within the context um, that he lived which is at the end of the Industrial Revolution and what I believe is happening in his work um, is that he is um, expressing in his painting where mankind <clears throat> is going in the next move along the evolutionary process. So in his painting he is expressing <clears throat> our future longing. 
because I've kind of coming to think that our future and the our future is within us. We have a longing, the evolutionary process and conscious evolution and evolution means that we're not just our past, what's developed, but we are our future. There's something deep within us that calls us to be what we what is our potential in the future. That's a longing and a thirst that's deep within us. And so I think what one of the things that Paul Cezanne did was express in his painting that longing for a future harmony um, <clears throat> that was not, did not exist at the time of his doing. So I try to examine his painting and the techniques he used and what he was trying to do and the words he used <clears throat> and show how they express <clears throat> um, the longing that was in the future that is made real in us. Mm. I, I wonder if you present. can give us a, an example of one of the paintings and just talk to us how about how you how you see this future longing within one of okay. his paintings um, yeah my my favorite painting um, of Cezanne is the kitchen table so <clears throat> it's a painting of a kitchen table um, and on the kitchen table uh, is a basket of fruit and various fruit and veg and um, there it's in a, a room so you can see the two side walls and the room at the back wall <clears throat> and um, you're kind of just looking down a bit on the on the kitchen table um, and it's all the, the usual kind of um, Cezanne colours, um, you know, the kind of pastoral colours of, of uh, an old farmhouse. Um, <clears throat> the tabletop, um, if you look closely, uh, doesn't meet in the middle. So if you start at one end and go along the tabletop it kind of disappears in amongst the fruit and if you start at the other end and come along the tabletop that disappears in the fruit but if you draw an imaginary line between them there's about three inches difference. Um, the basket on the top um, looks as if you're looking at it from up a ladder so you're looking kind of down into it <clears throat> the fruit at the left hand side of the the basket looks as if you're looking at it from the left hand side the other fruit looks as if you're looking so what he's done is he's he's moved 
instead of painting it directly in front of it from one position, he stood up and painted it, and then he's moved round to the right and painted it. So he's painting from all different perspectives. So, you know, for me, that's kind of saying that um, we have to respect different faith paths, different respect, different perspectives, different values that people hold dear. We not only have to respect them, but they ha we have to build them into a picture build them into something that's harmonious and wholesome and peaceful but which is nevertheless because your eye wants to make sense of what's going on and so you, your eye is dancing around because of the different perspectives so it's not only respecting the different perspectives and value systems, but it's bringing them together in a moving way. It's not making them all look the same. It's not making them It's all not look reducing the same. them to a common denominator. That's right. It's encouraging the movement. That's right. So, yes, I think that's... And of course, my, I might just mention here that the, the kitchen table picture was a picture that we had as our logo when we ran the community cafe together, which was called the community, which was called the kitchen table. And was very much something that we were trying to do, was to mm. have a space where people of difference, all different parts of the community, could come into at the same time mm. and feel welcomed at home, included yeah. Um, yeah but not unified or made to all be the, I mean I, 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 love the, I love the way you've yeah. described that and of course same as we're trying to do with the yurt yes is in the same way yes. you know, have that, have that space where well, let's just see what happens. Let's yeah. see who arrives here. Yeah. Yes. Um, and encourage the different perspectives um, <clears throat> and encourage the listening, but not the we're going to have a dogma here and all, yes. all follow the same rules. Flatlands. Flatlands. Not a, a flatness to the painting that's dealt and stuck mm. a movement and a mm. Mm. yeah yeah so exciting to yeah. have them have them at, uh, you've been working on this for quite some time yes I uh, kind of found the original um, notes in one of the one of Miss Cezanne books um, and uh, that's dated yes thing yeah 1999 in fact um, one of them so uh, yeah Fairly long time. Quite some time. A gentle unfolding. Gentle unfolding, yes. Um, but good to go now. So yes. we look forward to, to Saturday. And I'm going to put a picture of the, the kitchen table on the bottom of the blog so that okay. people, uh, on the bottom of the podcast, so that the people will be able to 
right to see to see that and uh, and look from their perspective mm. at the painting thank you thank you oh michael this has been such a gift this this our conversation thank you so much thank you yes I almost forgot we were being taped. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Enjoyed it so much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. So, what a great conversation with my husband. Um, yeah, he enjoyed it so much. You forgot we were being taped. You can tell we often have conversations of uh, theology and integral theory and such like. Um, to that depth that we can have one today and he forgets we're we're being taped gorgeous conversation thank you michael um yeah if you'd like to follow up on his blog it will be we can, he's going to be publishing one a week for many months um so the first one will be on saturday and that will be up on his website which is paul suzanne 365 um, and also probably put a link up on Facebook too so you can find it there on his Facebook page and no doubt I'll share it. So if you enjoyed this conversation please do subscribe to my podcast so that you'll be alerted to future future conversations that I have in the Urban Yurt and if you feel like giving us a review um, or a little like then uh, then please do and look forward to being with you in uh, the next conversation thanks very much bye